Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about my story. And one of the things we've been talking about is how our story intersects with the story of Jesus. And when those two things happen, life transformation takes place. And it's one of those things that we are so used to, I think, sometimes the story of Jesus. We kind of like, uh, and kind of blah about it. But we, in those moments, we're reminded of God's faithfulness for us. We can be reminded and there's joy and there's happiness and there's something that we're reminded of, of that moment when you've tasted and you've seen of the Lord and the Lord is good. And so this morning, I just want, this is our final one of this series. I just want to remind you that, hey, as followers of Jesus, it's easy for us to become kind of complacent in our story and how our story with Jesus intersects. And we kind of go about life and we're doing and we're going to and fro and we forget the freshness and the joy that God brings to our lives because life is busy and all these different things take from us. And so this morning, I'm hoping that as we finish up this series, you're reminded of that fact. One of the things that we constantly or continually do within the church context, and it's for the right reasons, but I think sometimes it gets lost, is that when someone's stories intersected with Jesus and there's this radical transformation, in other words, someone is walking in this direction and everything about their life is about themselves and how they can find satisfaction, even though it's fleeting. And then their life story is intersected with the story of Jesus. And they, what the old days would say, repent, repent. And then they begin walking in this other direction in pursuit of Jesus, that we celebrate those stories. And rightfully so, because anytime someone's story is intersected with the story of Jesus and life transformation happens, we should celebrate that. But we have a tendency to kind of raise those stories up and say, this is what it always looks like. When in reality, I believe that one of the things that we have a tendency to kind of shy away from is there is a greatness about a story and our stories that are in a long obedience in the same direction toward God. In other words, those that have grown up with God and around him and have continually pursued him and not strayed from the right or to the left and have been consistent in their faith. And that those are some great stories as well. Why? Because they're not struggling with some of the shame, the pain, the regrets, the things that hold some of us back. They don't struggle with some of those things because they've stayed the path, they've stayed the course. One of those stories is the story of Joshua or Yeshua. Now, Joshua, his name means deliverer or salvation. And so we find Joshua's story in Exodus chapter 17. Now, Joshua's story is one where he is the right-hand man of this guy that maybe you've heard of by the name of Moses. And Moses is someone who is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt from slavery and bondage to the promised land that God has for them. And so we see Joshua is with him early on in the story. In Exodus chapter 17, he is designated a general or a leader of the Israelite army in the first battle that Moses and the Israelites have to fight. So here Joshua becomes the general, and he's fighting the war, and it says he is the man of the sword, while Moses and his spiritual priest that's with him and a buddy named Ur, they're together on the mountaintop watching this battle happen. So the interesting thing about the story that's beginning with Joshua is Joshua's fighting the battle. He's got his guys, and they're doing their thing. And while the battle's going on, as long as Moses' hands are raised, the Israelites are winning. So they're there, and this is going on. So Moses' hands are raised, and the battle is going on. They're winning. But after a few hours, the Scripture says, Moses begins to get tired. Right? It's like, duh. Right? If you've raised your hands for a little bit. And so as his hands begin to fall, what happens? The Israelites begin to lose the battle. So Aaron and his buddy put Moses down on a stone, and they 
then raise his hands and hold his hands up beside him until the battle is won. And this is stressed in that part of the passage because God is setting a precedence for his people, particularly for Joshua and Moses and the Israelites. He wants them to know that they will be called to do some extremely difficult things and some things that are beyond their capabilities, beyond their strength, beyond their wisdom, beyond anything that they have the capacity to do. But if God has called them to do it and they do it in obedience, he will bring success and prosperity for them. And so Joshua, in that moment, understands as they step back and is reminded of the fact that Moses' hands, as long as they were lifted up, they won. It had nothing to do with Moses. It had nothing to do with Joshua's military strategy. It had everything to do with the simple obedience to something that's kind of weird, but it was known that God is the one that brought victory for them. And so then we see Joshua's story unfold from there throughout, that he's the right-hand man of Moses. And so wherever Moses goes, Joshua is there. And so there's battles to be fought. There's wars to be won. And Joshua and Moses are always there together. And there's movements together. And so we see Joshua begin as the, the military aid and the right one. But you also quickly see him move into that there's these moments where there's some spiritual moments with Moses and Joshua is there as well. So some of you, you may remember the moment where Moses went up to the top of the mountaintop and had an experience with God and the, these things that we call the Ten Commandments were given to him. And while that's happening, Joshua is there and in close proximity says that he's an earshot of this conversation while at the same time he's protecting and looking down over the people. And so Joshua has, is privy to some of these conversations that Moses and God have, but he's also protecting. And so in one instance, Moses is up there, he's getting the Ten Commandments and stuff is going good, but he's up there for a little bit of time. This was not a little short uh, deal, but he was there for a few days and maybe even longer. And we see in the story that the people of Israel begin to kind of, their hearts begin to stir and there's confusion and there's whatever's going on inside of them. And they want Moses to come down from the mountaintop. Well, because he hasn't come down in their timing, God isn't doing stuff on their timing, they create, they convince their spiritual leader down there, Aaron, to create a golden calf. And so they take all of their jewelry and they make a golden calf and begin to worship a golden calf. And so Joshua is the one that's on the mountain with Moses because Moses is doing his thing and Joshua can hear stuff going on down below. And he says, hey, God, Moses, we need to get down. Something's happening. I'm hearing sounds of war happening and war chants and stuff. And so they move down the mountain. And this is where you see where Charlton Heston throws down the stone tablets and breaks them. Why? Because their anger and frustration over the fact that here is God is bringing something very important to the people of Israel and how quickly their hearts and minds have turned from the God that's been providing for them and bringing for them. Consistently, the people of Israel, their eyes and hearts are quickly turned from God, Yahweh, to other things. And here Joshua is a big part of that. He has that golden calf experience. Also, we see because they're still a nomadic people, as they're moving around, they would set up their tents. And Moses would set up a tent just on the outskirts of camp, and that was his place of worship, and people could worship there. And every single morning or every single day, Moses would leave his tent at a specific time and walk past everyone else's tent to the tent of worship. And whenever Moses would do that, everyone would know and sense, and they would come out of their tent, and they would watch him and follow him as he went into the tent. And it was Moses and Joshua, and they would go into their tent with God and worship for a little bit. And an interesting thing about Joshua is that when Moses would leave, and he was done with his worship time and began to leave, it tells us that Joshua lingered. 
that he himself had a relationship with Yahweh, the personal God that was leading the Israelites to the promised land. And he lingered with God because he yearned for the same experience, same relationship that Moses had with God. Joshua longed for that. So here's a guy that's a general. He's at the right hand of Moses. He's a wanderer, and he's experiencing. So his story and the thread throughout for him is every time that they would accomplish something, Moses and Joshua and the leadership, God consistently spoke back to them and said, the reason that you're able to accomplish what you're able to accomplish is not because of your wisdom, your education, your military strategy. It has everything to do with me and your obedience to what I've called you to do. And so here Moses and Joshua have this journey together. Toward the end of Moses' life, we see where Joshua and Caleb and a couple of other spies are sent into the land, the promised land. And they were to go and find out how they could destroy the Canaanites and get into the promised land. But ten of the spies came back and said, hey, this is going to be an overwhelming task. Listen, it is the land of milk and honey. It is the promised land that God has for us. But there is no way that we can win this this battle. There's no way. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they have better weapons. Two guys came back out of that, Joshua and Caleb, and said, this is the land of milk and honey. This is the promised land. What God has said he will give to us, he will give to us. And the only few of them decided to do it. And so God, in his wisdom, decided the Israelites were going to wander for 40 years. And so that the men that were warriors at that age, age of warriors, all of them would be wiped out, including Moses, before the people of Israel could enter into the promised land. So for 40 years, they wander and complain and gripe and all that, even though God's providing them for them for the entire time. Eventually, after 40 years, Moses passes away. And right before he passes away, he blesses, but God blesses him. And Moses places his hands on Joshua and makes him the new leader. God had asked him to do that. And in that, the scripture says that the wisdom and discernment of God came upon him to be the leader of the nation of Israel. Then Moses passed away. And after 30 days of mourning, the entire nation mourned for Moses. After 30 days, Joshua became the leader. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. If not, it's obviously it's going to be in the screen. And follow along with me. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 says this. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. In other words, reminding us of all the time that Joshua had spent with Moses and the relationship that the two of them had. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon, mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. So he's giving them a clear distinction of the land that they will be there. And then he says to them, to him, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Now, these are key words. This is even words that Jesus has given to us. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. And so there's this common thread as children of God that that God has called us to tasks, and he's not going to abandon us. It's not going to get too hairy for God. He's called us to it, and he wants us to fulfill it. And he will, because of our obedience, take care of it. Here's the next verse. Be strong and courageous. You know what it means in the original language? Be strong and courageous. Because 
not of your wisdom, not of your education, not of your social status, but because of who God is. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, because you need to be reminded of the fact that when Moses' hands began to fall, you began to lose the battle. Every time that you were disobedient, the nation of Israel, every time you were disobedient, you fell. Every time that you strayed from the path that I had for you, you failed. But when you were obedient, when you were strong and courageous and stayed on the path that I had for you, you were successful, not because of you, but because of me. If you remember a couple of months ago, we even talked about the series in Philippians. We talked about we have Godfidence, confidence because of who God is and what he does in us and through us. This is what he's repeating here. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to the ancestor, your ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Now listen, so the first one, he's telling him, hey, listen, I need you to sink back and know that you're the leader of the people of Israel and that you need to be obedient and be strong and courageous to do this. And here's how you're going to be successful as a leader. So you need to be very courageous. Listen, why? Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave to you. Now, you would think that the very first thing that God would say to Joshua, who's going to have military task ahead of him, is, hey, Joshua, let's sit down and let's talk about military strategy." But the very first thing that he says to him, be very strong and be very courageous because you need to obey the instructions of the book of the law. Because listen, the very first thing when the stuff hits the fan that's going to be one, you're going to be tempted to let go of is the instructions of Moses. Because the people are easily distracted and easily want something else to worship and give their life to because sometimes the things that I call you to are difficult. And you're going to want to go to the right or you're going to want to go to the left and lose focus. And I guarantee you, you will fail and you will need to be very strong and very courageous. And remember, it's not about your strength and your wisdom and your education. It's about me. So be strong and courageous and follow my instruction. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in all you do. Listen, this is, this is true today. We need to, as children of the king, as children of God, to be strong and very courageous because we are thrown things every single day that says our life can be better if. There's infomercial, there's commercials, you got this little thing in your hand that you carry around, and it's consistently telling you that if you do this or that, that your life will be fulfilled and filling and you have everything you will possibly need, and those things flee move fleetingly through your life and you're like chasing after them like a ghost you can never capture the things of world that will bring you satisfaction here god tells us you will find success and prosperity when you follow the path that god has for you you will find success we live in a world we have the american dream here american dream 2.5 kids picket fence car, house, all those different things, right? And listen, those are great things, but we are in a season in American history where that's more possible than ever before. God's word knew this time was coming, and he knew that we'd be easily distracted by the things that were there for us, and it's easy for us to be thinking, man, I've got this. I want this for my kids. And listen, I want my kids to have it easier and to have more coming in than I have. It's just natural. But even more importantly, what I want is for my kids to know that success and prosperity comes from knowing Jesus 
more important than money. Now, I'm going to be honest. My kids are my retirement plan, okay? Like, I want them to make lots and lots of money, but I also want them to have the heartbeat of sometimes in pursuit of Jesus, I need to let a little bit of money go because it's not as important as Jesus. I need a little bit of money to go because it's not as important as my family. I need to let a little money go because it's not as important. And listen, there are people preaching that if your faith is failing, if you don't have money coming in, and that is a lie. So you need to remember the fact that success and prosperity doesn't come from our bank account. Success and prosperity comes from not deviating to the right or deviating to the left from the instructions that God has for us. Study this book of instruction. I mean, intently spend time with it. Meditate it on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Now, today, when we think of meditate, we think of crossing our legs and doing this and going, hmm, you know what I mean? And so and they teach to empty oneself. Biblically, to meditate means to speak the words. So in other words, this idea of study means to study it and to memorize it, but then also to be able to meditate on it means to be able to speak it. So that there are times in our life where through study we can meditate on the words of God. That whenever we come into seasons and situations, we can speak the word of God. That the very first things that when pressure hits and life squeezes out of us, it shouldn't be some of the words that come out of our mouth. It should be the words of God. Right? Because life is going to happen. Just because you're a child of God doesn't mean it's all going to be easy. As a matter of fact, sometimes because you are a child of God and you're trying to be obedient, it's going to be even more difficult. And the words of God should be the thing that when life presses in, the words of God should be the thing that come out. And then what? Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Now, again, I want you to take note of this. Those two words, prosper and succeed, do not mean, as a matter of fact, they It's distinct wording to help us understand this has nothing to do with our finances. This has everything to do. We will prosper and succeed through a pursuit of the character of God and knowing his will and obedience to his will. I mean, the author here like goes, I mean, goes overboard so that we will know this is not about money. This is not about wealth. This is not about some of those material things. I want you to understand those things may come, but the reward is not the wealth. The reward is God himself. So that we will prosper and we will find success when we pursue the path of the book of instruction and don't deviate to the right or don't deviate to the left. Because when we deviate to the right or to the left, what is it? It's those things that fleetingly attract us. Whether it's a new car, whether it's a relationship, whatever it may be, those things are going to come. But sometimes those things need to go by the wayside because we're looking for those things to bring identity for ourselves and say that's where my worth and value comes from. And God is saying, listen, you will find prosperity and success when your identity and your value comes from me. Keep pursuing me. Even Jesus reminded us in John fourteen fifteen, he says, if you love me, you will obey me. And I always thought as a child, whenever my parents would discipline me and they would say to me this hurts me more than it hurts you you remember those moments and i'm like yeah right it hurts me pretty good i don't know how it's hurt you let me try it on you mom and dad and and uh never got that chance but obedience out of love is this idea that as we understand that our parents loved us 
the reason that they had rules, the reasons that they had expectations, the reason they set some boundaries in our life is because they do love us. And that if we understand that they love us, we will be obedient because they put those rules and expectations there so we would not be harmed and hurt and to struggle and to have pain and shame and regrets. And that some of us as parents, the things that we teach our children not to do is because we've done them. And we know the pain, shame, regret, and we are constantly in that moment being reminded of the book of instructions that stay here and we deviated to the right or to the left and we don't want that for you. Here's one of the things that I want you to grasp, parents and grandparents. It's okay for your children to be innocent. Listen, even if your children are 20 or 21 or 25 or 35 or 14 or 12, there's some things that your children and your grandchildren should not be privy to to take in. Whether that's a video, whether that's a game, whether, whatever that may be, there are things in life for all of us that should not be a part of our life. Just because we're hu- humans, we should not have a part of it. But especially as children of God in pursuit of Jesus, there are some things that we should just let go by the wayside. Now, our children should not be naive. So as we train up our children, we teach them the truth in the right time and in the right way so they will not be naive so that they can maintain their innocence. It's okay for us to refrain from some things in life so we can maintain our innocence because our desire is to follow the book of instruction and we understand that God loves us. And if we obey him, he set boundaries in our life so that we don't have shame, pain, regret, and the discipline that comes with that and the hurt that comes with that. And it does hurt the father every time he has to discipline us because he knows the separation and the guilt and what we're sensing on the inside and it keeps us from the closeness that he wants us to crawl up in his lap and enjoy him, but we're running away because we've been distracted to the right or to the left. Prosperity and success has nothing to do with your financial health. It has everything to do with staying on the path that God has for us. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be obedient. And that the spirit-filled life comes from that. Look at Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. It says this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with the mockers. But they delight in the law or the book of instruction of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Again, a reminder of the fact that obedience is good. There's innocence in that, but that not be naive. And then here, God follows that up and he says, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Not a suggestion, but a command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will be with you wherever you go. So, Joshua's commissioned. And he begins his journey as the leader. The very first thing that Joshua gets to do is he gets to go to the warrior guys. Remember, all the warriors have have passed away. They've wandered around for 40 years. Now there's all new set of warriors. And the very first thing that they need to do, that they need to be commissioned and set apart for the task that they have before them, which is to take the promised land, is Joshua gets to go to them and say, hey, guys, God said we get to do something really fun. We're going to get circumcised. Real exciting. So all of the warrior men get circumcised and get ready. And it says that they took some time to get healed 
before they went on. And I was like, I bet they did. And so they took that time to get healed, and then they began their journey. And the very first thing was they crossed the Jordan River. And so here they are. They had specific commands. The priests were supposed to take the Ark of the Covenant and walk in front of the people, and they walk into the, into the river. And it's the very first time that they set their foot in the river, it separated and there was dry land. And they began to walk across. And those priests with the Ark of the Covenant walked across, stopped in the middle, and all the people of Israel walked across. They celebrated it. They remembered it. And then the very next task was they were supposed to overtake the, nation, the group of people called Jericho. If you've been around church or VBS or kids, y'all remember the song? And the walls came tumbling down. Y'all don't want me to sing. I'm just getting you there. All right. So the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Now, listen, Joshua has fought some battles, and he has some military strategy. He understands what he can possibly do, but God, again, gives him specific directions. Why? Because he wants to remind Joshua and the people that this is his land, and he is the one providing it. And so all throughout, they're to be dependent upon him. And so they come up with this weird military strategy for one day... One time, one day, they're going to walk around. So for six days, one time around, the whole nation walks around the walls. And then on the seventh day, the entire nation walks around seven times. I don't know if they got a lunch break or picnic break or whatever, but they went around seven times. And then the seventh time, they blew the trumpets, they broke their potsherds and began to scream. And when they began to scream, the walls literally came tumbling down. Now listen, history, historians and people have questioned whether that could be actually be true. We actually now have archaeological evidence that proves that that happened. It's kind of cool. So do some research on it. It's just they've found the walls. They've done some stuff. It has happened. God provided in a unique way for Joshua and the people of Israel for the walls of Jericho to come down. And he did it through a young lady by the name of Rahab whose profession allowed for men to come and go in and out of that city. And because of her profession, but also even more importantly, because of her faith, the Israelites were able to conquer the city of Jericho. And all throughout Joshua's story, we hear stories of that. When they're obedient, when they do the unique things that God asks them to do, so it proves that God is who he says he is, and he's the provider for them, they are successful. There's one time where they didn't do what God asked them to do, and they failed. God reminded them, I am the one that is the provider for you. Then at the end of the days, Joshua's lived a long life, and here he is at the end of his days. Before he passes away, he pulls together the leader of his people. Again, he's been with Moses. He's seen all those different things. He's brought them into the promised land. They've conquered the east. They've conquered the west. They've conquered the north. They've conquered the south. They've done a lot of things that God's asked them to do, and he's at the end of his life. And here's his final words to the people. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped where they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Now, again, remember that the Israelites were quickly distracted by other things. We know from history that they worshipped, while they were in Egypt, they didn't just worship Yahweh. They worshipped goats and they worshipped demons. And then we also saw on their journey they put a calf together and worshipped the calf. They were easily distracted. Serve the Lord alone. And here's his final words. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose. Now this, again, is a unique time. This is the only time in the Old Testament that this word, the specific word here, choose, is there. Because before and even after, God is the one that has done the choosing. But Joshua puts before his people 
I want you, God wants you to choose whom you're going to serve. You have seen him. You've heard his name, Yahweh, the I am. You've seen the I am do what he does. And you have this moment, the destruction of the other gods. All the evidence of what the other gods provide for you is there. So if you choose to serve them, you can do that. But you need to make a choice. As we enter into the promised land and we begin a new legacy, you need to choose. Choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or will be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me, Joshua, and my family, we will serve the I Am. What's your story? What is your story? It's easy for us to get distracted by the things on the right and the things on the left. It's easy for us to think that these other things will add worth and value to our life. If I just have a little bit more in my investment portfolio, if I have just a little bit more money, if I just have this car, if I just have this, and all of those things are not bad, but they're not the reward. The reward is God himself. And there are things along the way that he may or may not want to bless us with. We've got to get outside of our 21st century American mindset is that those things are just things. He is the real deal. And that is our reward. Where does your confidence come from when life's struggles come and we're easily distracted? May it be in him. And in those moments where there's no way you could have won victory in your life over an addiction, over something like that, there's no way you could have done it without his strength. Choose this day whom you will serve. Those other things that you've chased and have never provided fulfillment for him, for he is the reward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these stories. So many of these stories line up with us. We, we identify with them. We, we are easily distracted. We are easily doing things and pursuing things that we think will bring worth and value and be cool. And then all of a sudden we're like we... It's a new toy we play with for a little bit, and then we're bored. And, Father, we run back to you. Father, I pray for us, Father, that we would have a long obedience in the same direction. That the things that maybe catch our eye to the right or catch our heart to the left, that we would calculate them and look at them in a perspective of, is it what you want for us? Is it the best? And that maybe there's some money we can leave to the right or some things that we can leave to the left because they won't add worth and value to our life. As a matter of fact, they'll distract us from the greatest reward, which is you. May we pursue you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. One of the things I've been praying for, I've been here a little bit, a little bit over four years, almost five years, and one of the things I'd love to see is when art comes out of your congregation, out of us whether that's a song, whether that's a poem, whether that's a skit, whatever it may be, maybe it's a drawing or whatever, because God's inspiring you and moving you to do things. Our God is a creative God. He asks us to, on the seventh day, to recreate. That's one of the purposes of even on Sunday. We are to recreate ourselves. And so today we have an opportunity as we close out the series on my story. Someone within our congregation has written a poem and we have created video with it. And so um, Aaron Porter is the writer of the poem, and Perry Williams and Eric Gaston put video to it. So I hope that your heart is as moved by this um, as anything we've done over the last few weeks.
Watch this with me. So tell me, what's your story? We all have one, you know. Some are old and some brand new and some you just haven't told. So sit here and tell me. I can see it in your eyes. There's something working on you. I know there will be no lies. So tell me what's your story. Is it happy and full of grins? Or is what you tell me a confession of your sins? Either way, I'm here now. Let's hear what you have to say. I'm not leaving. No, not ever. I'll cleanse you when you pray. So tell me what's your story. Is your heart breaking in two? Is it from a new love or what you had and through? This old porch was made for talking. This rocker has heard quite a few. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm listening. Even though I already knew. You see, I know what you're going to say. I know all that you do. I know this because I wrote it. And I know that I'm in you. So tell me what's your story. We all have one you know. Some are old and some brand new. And all have already been told. So tell me, what's your story? Let me hear your prayers so deep. I'll take them and make them mine so you won't feel so tired and weak. So tell me, what's your story? Oh, it's okay if you don't know what to say. I heard your heart crying. I know exactly what to pray.